What's up, C12? You guys doing all right? College at 12 soon. Gosh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, my name is Lee Baker, and I'm one of the worship pastors here at 12 Stone. Honored to be uh, standing here for Austin, Hagen, and I. I know they're on a mission trip and having an incredible time. Uh, but man, I'm just glad to be here. You guys are worshipers. What a great room of people. Uh, yeah, hopefully we're going to have a great time tonight. And I want to encourage you, but I realize there's not a, a lot of you in the room know who I am. 12 Stone is so big. There's so many staff members, so many people around. Sometimes it's hard to know who's who. Uh, I've been a worship pastor here for three years. I lead worship out at the Flowery Branch campus and have an opportunity uh, to lead and speak into some of our worship culture around here and just love to talk about our engagement with God because it's so important to us. But I'll tell you, um, my family and I moved here uh, three years ago to come to work for 12 Stone. We've loved it ever since. Um, I love to see, I like to get to know people, so I like to let people get to know me. So here's a picture of my family. Uh, they're incredible people. Uh, yeah, they are awesome. My daughter wanted to come with me tonight. Um, she, she felt like I needed a lot of help. Uh, I think <laughs> she's not wrong. Um, but, uh, man, I just, uh, I love uh, getting to know people. So, man, I love to hang out and get to know as many of you guys as I can afterwards tonight. Uh, we're going to have a great time. Uh, we had, what a great time of worship. Man, Jacob, you didn't leave me much to say. Uh, I, I don't appreciate that, man. I don't know where you're at, but that was awesome, man. You guys have a fantastic group of people that uh, lead worship every week. Yeah, yeah. And Kara, Kara and I actually go way far back, like this far back. Uh, Kara, I've known since she was like 11, and, uh, and so she's like 14, I think, in this picture, playing drums uh, with me and a buddy. Uh, and so, yeah, Kara, I've known for a long time, and she's a fantastic worship leader. We're so glad to have her in the residency uh, here. And I'll tell you, uh, I have conversations with people a lot throughout the years, and I'm sure that you have conversations like this, too. You guys are in college for the most part or around that time of your life, and you're making decisions that are going to affect you forever. And when you were younger, at least this was true for me, somebody asked me, what do I want to blank when I grow up? Be, right? Somebody says, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, what they really mean is what do you want to do when you grow up, right? What they really mean is that they want you to figure out what you want to do with your life. And so we go, well, here's what I want to do. And that thing begins to kind of identify us. And then we figure out, well, what do I need to know to do the thing that I want to do? So we spend the majority of our life trying to figure out what to do and what to know. And I think there are three bigger questions you should ask. And we're going to dive into just one of those and like a small aspect of that tonight. But I just thought that where you guys are at in life, that this would be helpful for you. I got an opportunity to kind of teach this to some of our summer interns about a week ago. And it's going to lead into what we're going to talk about tonight. But I want to give you three questions right off the top that I think are more important questions to ask than what am I going to do and what do I need to know. So I think, and I think that those questions, these questions that we're going to apply are the same in our spiritual life as well. I mean, you can't know everything. You can't do everything. So what determines what you do and what you know? So here are the three questions. Who am I? How long has it been since you just asked yourself, who am I? What do I stand for? What are the things that I value in this life? Second one, what do I believe? And here's what I mean by that. Not just simply like, what do you believe uh, spiritually? Uh, what do you believe about life or philosophy or any of those things? But what do you believe? What are you willing to die for? What, con what convictions do you carry so much that you're willing to give your life for it? And the third one, what's your why? What's your why? What's the motivation behind what you do what you do? Motivation's important, Right? And I think why is a question I want to dig into tonight. And I wish I could talk about all three of those things because they're enormously important to who we are as people, who you are, what you value in your identity, 
what you believe, the things you're willing to go to the mat for, the things you're willing to give your life for, and what's your why, your motivation. But we're going to dig into why a little bit tonight. And here's the thing. Do you think it's better to ask the question why before you do something or after you do something? That's weak. Don't be, it's not a trick question. <laughs> before, man, some of you guys are close to graduating. Congratulations. So, so yeah, it's better to ask the question before. Listen, let me speak for parents because uh, there may not be a lot of parents in the room. But uh, when you have a child, everybody has a moment on the other side of having a kid when you go, why did I do this? They're fantastic. I love them. But they're not here tonight, so I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, everybody asks themselves, why? Why did I do this? You have this like eight to ten week period after you, after you have your first child that you go, oh my gosh, what have we done to our life? You know, everything is just so different. You ask yourself why. Maybe you're in the middle of a semester right now and you signed, or in the summer semester or in the fall, last spring, maybe you had this thought. You signed up for a ton of hours at school and like two weeks into the semester you go, why did I do this to myself? Okay. Maybe you're in a relationship with somebody and you're like, why on earth am I with this person? Don't raise your hand. Do not raise your hand. <laughs> I didn't mean to get anybody in trouble tonight. So, so here's the thing. There's some dangers in not knowing why you do something, right? If you don't understand your motivation, there's some dangers in knowing or not knowing why you do something. If you don't have your why right on the front end of something, you could have a lot of regret on the back end, Okay. Um, I grew up in the 90s. I was in high school in the 90s. Uh, I was standing in the back tonight, and I literally was watching some of your faces. You walk in like, who's the old guy? Um, so I appreciate that a lot. Um, I had my 20-year high school reunion this year, feeling pretty old. Um, but I wore my white sneakers tonight, and I brushed my teeth, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself with you guys. So you're welcome. So here's the thing. In the 90s, there was a lot of things to regret, just to be quite honest, but none greater than the fashion of the 90s, right? I know that you guys, y'all had a 90s night not too long ago. Is that right? Did I see that on social media? Yeah. Yeah. So, so look, I want to show you some pictures. We, we wore this stuff. Like, I, this is more confession time for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how you put those jeans on. Like, I don't, I, that's a lot of zipper. You know, uh, I mean, I can't, I guess that was real. Uh, hit the next one for me, Carlos. These were real? Yeah. Did you guys wear, yeah, did you guys wear these a couple weeks ago? We called those Zubas. Y'all can take that home. That's free. Yeah. Jinkos. Does anybody know what that is? Those are real pants that people wore. They had, they didn't measure them by the waist. They literally, you bought them by the size of the leg on the, I'm dead serious. Uh, I was uh, playing music a lot in the late 90s and early 2000s, and we, I was in a band. We were playing in an arena, and one of our guitar players, he, he was like my age back then, so he was having kind of a midlife crisis, and he bought some of these, and he went to jump up on a platform, and his foot got caught in the end of the jean, and, and he just plummeted uh, off the stage, and uh, it, was, it was not good. So these were like a, ha a safety hazard. Uh, hit the next one for me. These things were real. The fanny pack. I feel like these are making a comeback. I mean, I'm not stoked about it. I'm just saying that it's, it's happening. Uh, and I, I think there's one more, Carlos. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. Here's the crucial mistake that all of these gentlemen are making. They have both straps on. You got to go one strap down. That's, everybody knew that, right? 
one strap down. So I wish, I wish in my high school pictures, because I can tell you this, um, my wife and I, we're going to celebrate 15 years of marriage this summer, and we're looking at, thanks. Man, I appreciate that. Um, so we look back at our wedding pictures, and I don't care what your hair looks like in your wedding picture, you're going to regret it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you wear, how timeless you think it is, how much time you spend on Pinterest, you're going to regret it. Okay, I'm just telling you, you feel great about it, congratulations, but you're going to regret it in the pictures later. My kids point at the pictures and go, what were you, what? Uh, so uh, there's some dangers in not knowing why you do something, right? You have a lot of regret. The second danger I want to show you, when you, uh, or thing I want to show you about getting your why in order, when you have your why in accordance to something, you empower your effectiveness in it for the long haul. Your why is super important to you being motivated. You're in this room tonight, and I saw a lot of lifted hands and a lot of people singing. But if you don't know why you worship, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, there's going to be seasons in your life when that gets really tough. And so knowing what motivates you, knowing what your why is, is super important. And I want to give you some bad reasons why you worship tonight. I think this permeates us at some point in our walk with Christ and maybe even in the beginnings of it, uh, but definitely as we walk through this journey with God, there's some things that I think are bad reasons to why we worship. When you worship because you have to, out of obligation, you just feel obligated to sort of worship, it's not a great motivator. You don't want to love anybody just because you feel like you have to, right? Especially Jesus. Another bad reason to worship because you get something out of it. Now, I'll tell you this, God in his grace sure does minister to us, right, as we worship. Isn't it great? But that's not why we come here. We come here because he's worthy. We're going to get into that in just a second. Another bad reason to worship because you feel like it, like worship's conditional on how we feel. God's worthy regardless of how we feel, right? And last, because it's done according to our preference. I think in this generation right now, um, and by generation, I don't mean you guys or my generation. I mean just everyone here walking with Jesus. I think that preferential worship is sort of a poison that we walk into, that it has to be this certain thing for us to be able to engage with God. And it's a warning for us tonight. And so we have to guard with great intention while we do something, and especially while we worship. And here's why, because what you worship, whatever is in first place in your life, whatever's on the throne of your life informs and affects everything else in your life. So whatever is first determines what you think about everything else in your life. Whatever you worship determines how you think, the decisions that you make, what you feel is important, how you see yourself, how you see your relationships, how you see your marriage, how you raise your children in the future, what career you pick. How you worship, what is in first place in your life determines everything else underneath it. And so that's tonight why I want to talk about why we worship. And I hope that what we have at the end of the night is some things in our hearts that we can run to when we feel unmotivated or when we feel like God's not that important or when something else sneaks on the throne of our life and we're not paying attention or on those nights when we're tempted to not come just because we don't feel like it, that you have some things in your heart that you can go, no, I remember why I worship tonight. So I want to give you three of these things tonight. We're going to unpack quite a few things. We're going to try to get out of here on time. Uh, I better look at that clock. Um, so here's the first one, the foundation of why we worship. We worship God because he's worthy. Simple, right? We sang it tonight. He's worthy of his name. The root word of the word worship is worth-ship. It's whatever you ascribe the most worth 
too. And I'll tell you this, if God never did anything for us, God's done a lot for us, right? He's done so much for us. But if he never did anything for us, he'd still be worthy. Even before Jesus came, you think about how people worshiped. We worship so much through the gospel. We're going to talk about that tonight, too. We're so thankful for Jesus and what he's done for us. But even in the Old Testament, even before Jesus came, God was still worthy. He's always been worthy. I love Revelation 4, verse 11. The first thing that the living creatures and the elders sing around the throne is this. It says, worthy are you, just to declare the worthiness of God. The foundational reason why we worship, because he's worthy. Worthy are you our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. I have a uh, time of prayer in the mornings every morning and I usually try to pray in these four sort of increments and in the first 15 minutes or so of praying, I really just try to focus on who God is and just worship him because he's worthy. It's really hard to worship God in a way that it's, that it doesn't benefit us, you know? Because his grace is so good to us, his mercy is so good to us, his love is so good to us. It's really hard to ascribe just the worth of God to him. And so I want to ask you tonight, why is he worthy? You can say stuff. I don't mind if you just shout something out. Yeah, he did. I love it. Don't be bashful. We're having a conversation. Yeah, because his love's unfailing. It's great. Can I tell you why I believe he's worthy? Because if God had never done anything for me, and even before Jesus, he was still worthy. He's worthy because he's the uncreated one, because he has no beginning and no end, because he has no needs, because he's holy, because he's beautiful, because he's high above, because he's lifted up, because he's exalted on his throne. He's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He's the creator of all things, the author, the finisher. The earth is his footstool. The heavens are in his hands. He's not bound by the dimensions in which we exist. He's transcendent of everything that we know. He's good. He's powerful. He's wonderful. He's the Lord, and there's none like him and there's nobody else who's worthy I know he's done a lot for me but he's just worthy because of who he is I think that's where we start his worthiness the worthiness of God is the foundation of our why when we say why we worship and I'll tell you this when your why is settled your how becomes really flexible when your why is settled, your how becomes flexible. And here's what I mean. You ever try to worship at your grandma's church? You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's awful. Like, you come to C12, and it's amazing, and the band's great, and it sounds great, and, man, the production's great, and it's just unbelievable, and you have a great time of worship, and Sunday you got to go to grandma's church. And it's hard to worship. And I think the reason it's hard is because our why is wrong. God's no less worthy anywhere else. I remember uh, Austin and the crew are in uh, Kenya on a mission trip right now. Six years ago last week, uh, I was in Kenya on a mission trip. And I remember we went to uh, a little church uh, outside the village we were in. And I had to speak there at the church. And it was really interesting because we had this interpreter that spoke Swahili. So I had to 
say a line and then wait for him to translate it and then say a line and wait for him to translate it. And I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation like that, but it's really hard to get a flow. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I don't know if he's done or not. Like I interrupted him like 10 times because I didn't know if he had finished the phrase. And it was just really different to us. And after the message, and we sang and danced, and it was just amazing, they, they asked for tithes and offerings. And people brought chickens and goats and milk and vegetables and all sorts of things, and that was different for me. And I watched, and, and God just did something in my heart in that moment. That afternoon, we literally walked from the church to a tree where we were going to have revival. Like, it was predetermined. God was going to show up and do some amazing things. And there was this one guy, he had a beat-up old guitar with three strings on it. I'm not sure what kind of alternate tuning he was using or, or what it was. Uh, it, it sounded awful when he started uh, messing with it. And my first thing, I'm a guitar player, my first thing was like, ooh, yeah, yeah. Um, man, he started singing, just banging on that thing. And, man, this Holy Spirit started to move. And before I knew it, I had no idea what worship was. And I learned something that day, that when my why is right, when my why is settled, my how becomes really flexible. Worship becomes an option to me anywhere and through anything because God's worth isn't determined by a style or an environment or a genre or the day of the week or the time of day or a denomination. God's worthy across everything that we can imagine, even at your grandma's church. Remember that next time you got to go. Here's the deal. God isn't worthy, remember, of our worship because something he's done. It's just because of who he is. But here's the thing. God didn't just want us to worship him. People did that in the Old Testament. God want us, wanted us to worship him closely. But that couldn't happen because we had sin and God was holy. We couldn't make a way. And so God made a way. He wasn't satisfied with the ritualistic worship, the distant worship of the Old Testament. So he made it possible for us to worship him personally and draw near to him. He sent Jesus. And this is the second reason why we worship. We worship God to celebrate and share the gospel. We worship God to celebrate and share the gospel. Our ability to worship God personally is only because of Jesus and what he did on the cross to make a way for us to the Father. Your ability to enjoy the presence of God tonight in a personal way when you feel the movement of the Holy Spirit in this room and in your life is only because Jesus paid a price so that we could stand in the presence of God. 1 Peter 2.5, it says this, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, God didn't just save you from something. He saved you to something as well. And here's what he saved you to. We look at that verse. It says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. He saved you so you could be built up as the church, a spiritual house, the church. He saved you so that you could pursue holiness in the way that you live. It says to be a holy priesthood. And he saved you and built you up to worship him, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the thing that makes your worship acceptable tonight. Jesus making our worship acceptable is what made all of life an opportunity for us to worship. 
not just the 30 minutes we come in here and sing or the 20, 30 minutes we sing together on a Sunday, but Jesus once for all opened the door to worship for us with his work on the cross. Worship's not acceptable to God because of a genre, a style, a time of day. What makes your worship acceptable is not even you singing in key or clapping on time on the one and the three. I know y'all have that problem. And y'all may not know what that means, but you have that problem. That's not what makes your worship acceptable. Jesus makes your worship acceptable. Without the sacrifice of Christ, we would be in the Old Testament dependent on priests to make our sacrifice for us. And we wouldn't know so much of God. We wouldn't know his grace the way we do or his mercy the way we do or his justice the way that we do. God would still be all those things, but we wouldn't know him the way that we know him now. We see things now through the lens of the cross and the work of Jesus Christ because he forever, once and for all, opened the door to worship. Jesus, one time with one act of his life, Open the door for everyone to step into the presence of God. And that's amazing. In the Old Testament, the priest, once a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice. And he was the only one that got to walk into the presence of God. But tonight, you freely enjoy the presence of God as you worship because Jesus paid that price. And I don't want someone else to worship for me. You guys have those friends that when you're on a diet, they send you food pics? And, and they tell you how good stuff tastes. You know, you sit at Chili's with them or whatever, and they're like, gosh, this queso is so good, you know. They're not real friends. My dad does this stuff all the time. And, man, I'm from Louisiana. You, you know how to tell when somebody's from Louisiana? They say Louisiana. They don't say Louisiana. Like, I, I struggle to even say that. Uh, so we love food in Louisiana, and my dad's back home. And, he, and I live in Georgia. I love Georgia, but it's not home. So my dad will send me pictures like this. These food picks. This is a leftover plate of uh, catfish and some fried potatoes. I'm telling you right there. That's a gospel. <laughs> and the next one, y'all don't even know what that is. That's crawfish lasagna. Yeah. That's good right there. Yeah, somebody clap for that crawfish lasagna. <laughs> and this is the best time of year, crawfish season. Give me that next one. Look at that right The glory of the Lord. Yes. It's so good. So here's the thing, though. My dad texts me these pictures, and every time he texts me this, it just says, wish you were here. (laughs) This sure is good. Thanks, Pop. I wish I was there, too. I don't want anybody eating my food for me and telling me how good it is, and I don't want anybody worshiping for me and telling me how good God is either. Your worship matters to God. Your voice matters when you're in the room on a night like tonight. And you sing, you sing through a different story than anybody else in the room sings through. Your redemption is unique, but God came to rescue you in a unique way, and he speaks to you uniquely. And so your voice matters in the choir of heaven and in the choir of all creation. God hears your voice. And when you don't sing, he doesn't hear your voice. Nobody else can worship for you. And Jesus didn't pave the way so that somebody else could worship for you. Jesus gave his life so that you could offer sacrifices to God that were acceptable through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so why do you worship? We worship to celebrate that. And every time you worship, you celebrate the gospel because there's no other way that you can enter into the presence of God. 
And every time we worship and we sing the gospel like we did tonight, that he's worthy of his name, and we sing about all the great things that Jesus has done, we're sharing the gospel through the testimony of our agreeance and our unity in this place tonight. And so maybe there's somebody in the place that doesn't know Jesus who's just checking this out and seeing what Jesus is all about, what the church is all about. You shared the gospel as you worship tonight. And that's one of the reasons that we worship. Jesus died so that we could all taste and see his goodness, so that we could all draw near to the presence of the living God every time that we worship him, which is the third reason why we worship We worship God because we're desperate for his presence. We worship God because we're desperate for his presence. Can I give a little theology lesson real quick? I know you guys aren't in school. This is kind of boring, but I promise it it matters. So when we talk about God's presence, does anybody think that's weird? You can raise your hand. You think that's weird? I, I didn't understand God's presence for so long. I grew up Baptist, and I'm not sure the Holy Spirit joined with us a lot. Um, it was pretty boring. Um, uh, we, we were just working real hard not to clap on the one and the three. Uh, and, uh, and we didn't do a great job of it. And so we didn't talk about God's presence in the, in the church I grew up in a lot. But so, so I want to share with you, for, for my benefit, maybe if you don't understand how God's presence works tonight. And again, his presence is limitless and unbelievable, and, and I'm not going to near describe it to its depths. But I hope to give you something to grab onto as we talk tonight. So here's the deal. In the beginning... We had God's transcendent presence. His limitless presence is always around. And his imminent presence, which is his relational and redemptive presence. You with me? All right. You're going to have to listen close. When sin entered the world and the fall happened in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned, we never lost the transcendent presence of God. God was still everywhere all the time. But we lost the relational and redemptive presence of God. We couldn't draw near to him. And the only way that we could draw near to him was through rituals and sacrifices in the ceremonial law that he taught through the first five books of the Old Testament when he was teaching people how to come into his presence and how to access him. And so we lost that in the fall. But then Jesus came, and the imminent relational redemptive presence of God in Jesus came in physical form to the earth to usher in and make it possible for everyone to enter into the relational redemptive presence of God. And this is what we mean when we say we have a relationship with God. It means that through Jesus, we enjoy relational, redemptive, imminent, close presence with God. It means that I can sit and have a conversation with the living God, the God of the universe, because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. He restored the opportunity for me to draw near to God in his relational, redemptive presence. And then... The Holy Spirit came and sealed the presence of God, not just around you, but he sealed the presence of God in you. And he made it possible for us to access the presence of God through faith in Jesus personally, anywhere, at any time. But still, why should you be desperate for his presence? Why should you long to be in his presence in your personal life and as we gather as the church? I'm going to give you two reasons tonight. These won't be on the screen, um, but you should probably write them down. We should be desperate for God's presence because it's transformational. The presence of God changes us. I love the uh, Spirit Move song we sang tonight. That we're being transformed in his beauty and his presence tonight. What a great, what a great song. Here's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. It says, we all with unveiled faces. Let me bring some some gravity to that. Um, 
I'm not sure if I'm going long, so y'all yell at me if, if we're done. Um, I don't even know what time it is. Uh, <laughs> so let me unpack this. We all with unveiled faces. In the Old Testament, Moses went up the mountain, and he saw the back of God's glory, and he had to wear his, a veil over his face because his face was shining so brightly. Paul was calling back to that in 2 Corinthians and said, we don't have to wear a veil. People can see that the glory of God, that the presence of God lives in us. So we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. When you stand in the presence of God and behold him, he changes you. You become like what you behold. Y'all had Miles come teach last week. Miles is incredible. Uh, and I, I heard that he talked about the nearness of Christ. What a true thing that nearness becomes likeness. When you behold the glory of the Lord, you become more and more like the image of Jesus. I went over to uh, England a few times um, in, the, in the 2000s, early 2000s, and uh, <laughs> One time I went, I was there for like 10 days, and I was staying with a buddy of mine who was a songwriter, and he had like thickest little inner city Cockney English accent, and I thought it was so cool. And I didn't know this, but when I came home, I had this terrible British accent for like three days. And I'm like a Louisiana redneck, so you put like redneck Cajun British together, and that's kind of what my wife was dealing with for like three days. And, uh, and it, was not, it was not fun uh, or funny or good in any way. Um, but I became like what I was around. You absorb the things that you're around, the things that you behold, the things that you put on a pedestal, the things that take the throne of your life. Whatever it is that you look upon, whatever it is that you gaze at, whatever it is that you behold, you become like that thing. It affects you. And worship grows you personally in that way because when you spend time with God on your own, he's going to grow you. He's going to change your life. You're going to become like what you behold. But it also grows you communally when you come in a room like this, meaning that we grow when we draw near to God and worship him alone, but we grow in a unique way when we worship God together. When you come into this room and worship God together. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Love this. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Your worship matters not only to the heart of the Father, but it matters to all the people around you too. Because your worship encourages people. Your worship teaches people through the circumstances of your life. I have a friend, um, his name is Angel. Uh, he tells me to call him Angel. He's Cuban. His name is Angel, but I think he got tired of me mispronouncing his name so much, and he just told me to call him Angel. Um, he's an incredible man of God, and Angel's got cancer right now. He goes to the Flowery Branch campus, and we've been praying tremendously for him. And I watched him maybe three or four months ago in the midst of this battle, and I watched him sing, Trust It All. My life is in your hands. I trust it all. I trust it all to you. And I'm leading the song from the stage, and I see him worshiping, and I, it just wrecked me. He's trusting God in a way I've never had to trust God. His worship taught me something that day. His worship admonished me that day, challenged me, convicted me that day. I watched him worship through a circumstance of his life. I was standing over here in the corner tonight watching all you guys worship and going, man, this generation's in good hands. 
People talk so much trash about Generation X and millennials and all that sort of stuff. I want you guys to know I love you and God believes in you. Man, I saw arms raised, voices raised tonight in this room. My kids are going to grow up behind you, and I think that you guys are going to set a great example for my kids to grow up in, and I'm grateful for it. You pursue the heart of the Father, and you teach and admonish one another as you worship. You're going to do great things. I want to give you the second reason you should be desperate for his presence tonight, and we'll wrap it up. We worship God because we're desperate for his presence, and we're desperate for his presence because his presence is the end goal. It's the end goal of everything you think about. It's the end goal of everything you hope for. It's the end goal of everything you live for. Listen up real quick. You guys are all kind of 18 to 25-ish. Am I close-ish? Okay, good. If I could show you your life in 20 years, if I could show you 20 minutes of your life in 20 years, <laughs> I got hope for you, man. If I could show you your life at 42 years old and you're happily married and you have a job that you love and you got kids that are healthy and happy, you got a good relationship with your parents, maybe even restored a relationship that's broken with a friend or a sibling, how much worry and anxiety would that relieve from your life right now? If I could show you that and go, here's your life. You're married. Your kids are beautiful. Everything's great. The picture I showed you at the beginning of the service tonight of my family, I never saw when I was 22 years old. I had no idea how God was going to bless me, but I trusted that he was. Every time that you worship, you get a glimpse of the end goal of your life. You, for a moment, in the midst of God, isn't there these moments in the midst of God, in his presence in this place, you're worried about that test and that girl and that job and the thing and the other thing. And you come in this place and for a moment you're singing about he's worthy of his name. And you just get lost in the presence of God and all those worries go away, right? Isn't that amazing? That's the end goal. That's your eternity. That's a glimpse of what we're all going to live in. The new heaven, the new earth, that's the goal for us. At some point, God's gonna, Jesus is going to come back, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to step into that. And there's going to be an existence of worship eternally. It's the never-ending fullness of the joy of God that only exists in his presence. And every time we worship together as the church, we get a small glimpse of that. And here's what I'm convinced of. There's nothing more evangelical. There's nothing more intoxicating. There's nothing more convicting. There's nothing more convincing than when we get a glimpse of the end goal of our life. Athletes know this, right? When you, when you talk to an, a pro athlete, like an NFL player, what image do they put in their mind at the end of the season to keep them motivated? That trophy, man. They want that Lombardi trophy. That's the image they have in their mind. And when they get tired, when they get weak, when they forget why they're doing something, somebody holds up an image of that trophy, and all of a sudden they remember. The presence of God reminds you of your end goal. Revelation 21, 3 through 4 says this. This is incredible. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is the end right here. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Do you know that's God's rightful place is with you? Like he paid a price to be with you. 
When we sing that, the second verse of what a beautiful name, he didn't want heaven without you, so he brought heaven down. Not because you deserved it, but because it's his rightful place to be with you. You know, he made it right for us. I love that. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Doesn't that sound good? Those little glimpses that you get in the presence of God. Maybe you're alone in your apartment and praying, and God just relieves all your worry and your pain and your anxiety, your sadness. Maybe you're here in this room amongst friends worshiping, and God pulls that pressure off your life for a moment. That's what all of life is going to feel like in the presence of God. It's going to be amazing. And so when you ask me why we worship, (laughs) God's worthy. That's why. And I want to ask you tonight. Is there something in your life that's more worthy than God? What sits on the throne of your life tonight? What are you beholding that in turn you're becoming like? What makes you anxious, worried? What rules you? What what keeps you up at night? That thing's probably sitting on the throne of your life. So when you ask yourself why you worship, remember, he's worthy. He alone's worthy. Put him back on that throne. We worship to celebrate and share the gospel of Jesus. I have to remind myself often, do I realize that Jesus paid a price to save me from my sin so that I could stand in the holy presence of God? And last, we worship God because we're desperate, desperate for his presence. Do I pray for and value the presence of God personally and communally in my life? I hope that you do. Man, I tell you... um, Honored to share with you guys tonight, and I hope that you realize what a blessing this ministry is. I know that you do, man. I see you guys in so much support of Austin and all the leaders of this ministry, and man, we're thankful that C12 exists at 12 Stone, and thankful that there's a generation of worshipers that are coming up, leading the way uh, amongst your friends and your peers, and so... Man, I want to pray for you and encourage you in that tonight if I can. God, would you just spill your presence all over this generation tonight? God, would you remind us of our why? God, would you help us to build into the foundation of our lives a why behind why we worship you, why it's so important to engage in your presence, God? Why, Lord? Would you help us, Lord, to remember on those nights when we don't feel like coming, those nights where got a lot going on, studying for tests, trying to meet up with friends, even trying to work, God, trying to do great things in our life. God, would you just remind us how valuable your presence is? So wonderful to worship you, God. There's one song that, that the elders and the angels have sung around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God, I could sing of your holiness for all eternity and barely scratch the surface of one aspect of who you are. So, God, in these moments when we get to sing, God, would you help us to cherish it and value it and be grateful for it? Never taking it for granted, Lord, because you're worthy. And because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, is worth celebrating and sharing, God. And because we are desperate for a move of your presence in our life. God, we know that you live in us. But God, we know what it's like when you draw near to us. 
when James says, if we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. And God, you're always faithful. You don't have to show up in this room. You don't have to show up in our bedroom when we're praying to you, but you always do, God. You don't have to show up when we're driving down the road and thinking of you, but you do. You don't have to show up when we're out with friends and laughing and joy consumes us, but you do, God. You're always with us. And God, would you just make us aware of why you're so worthy to be worshiped. Lord Jesus, we love you. We give you all the glory for all that you are, for all you've done for us. Lord, we worship you tonight. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.